Okay. All right, and you're bringing me a microphone? All right. Well, good, e good morning, folks. Uh, it is a pleasure to be with all of you today. Uh, last year, when I was here, I had a wonderful time, enjoyed... Okay. All right. It's kind of hard for me to speak while <laughs> someone is messing with my neck and head and body, but... Put that on your belt. You're, you're good to go. All right. Can you hear me? All right. Um, but as I was saying, last year I had a wonderful time preaching here and speaking here and just being with all of you. And uh, when John invited me to come back, I was pleasantly surprised. I, I, I didn't expect that. And uh, when I got that invitation, I thought, well, this will be great. It'll be great to come back uh, to Alabama. And uh, I'm away from my family this weekend, but they are, and they are excited that I'm in Alabama. My son actually likes Alabama. Can you believe that? Likes the football team. I guess y'all win a lot or something. But it is so good to be with all of you. And I just have to admit, I'm just going to say this right now. I am impressed that so many of you would want to get together on a Saturday morning to study Ezekiel. In my book, y'all are ranking really high right now, okay? And if you stay through the whole day, boy, you're going to be way up at the top. So I'm excited about our study and what we're going to be doing. I got involved with the book of Ezekiel last year, and Ezekiel is a man I've grown to love. And uh, hopefully someday when I get to heaven, I can sit down and talk with him. And so I'm looking forward to unpacking this book to you today and tomorrow because I really believe this book is going to challenge us and it's going to draw us closer to the heart of God. And so let me just lead us in another quick prayer. God, we want to come before you again, and we just ask that you would use these ancient words from your servant Ezekiel, and you would use these words to help us see you clearer, and may this be a day of renewal for each one of us here. Lord, you know us, you know our hearts. You know what's going on in our lives right now. And we need renewal. And so renew us today. And Lord, also I ask that you would stir our hearts towards your mission. You know where our loyalty and our attention lies. And our hearts need to be stirred towards your mission. And so Lord, do that today by the power of your spirit working through the ancient words of Ezekiel. In the name of Jesus, amen. I want you to imagine a young man who has just turned 30. This should be one of the best times in his life. It should be the time where he's launching his career growing his family. But instead, this young man finds himself in a very difficult place. Already in his relatively young life, he has seen 
the country in which he lives, at one point, be very close to God and have relative economic stability. Now he finds that country away from God and in political upheaval. And because of all of that, he has been forced to leave the country he loves and is now a refugee living in a foreign land, probably in some kind of tent or makeshift lean-to with a bunch of other people. He's newly married. And this should be the time where he's starting to have children. It should be the prime of his life. But instead, he finds himself living in a place that he doesn't want to be among a nation that he doesn't want to be in. And so one day he decides he's going to go for a walk. Because as you know, especially down here in Alabama, sometimes you just need to get out in the, in the woods to clear your mind. Right, John? And, and, and think about life and about God about what God wants for you. And so this is what this young man does. He decides to go off. He's just had his birthday. He goes off on his own and takes a walk near a river. And while he's beside this river trying to make sense of his life and the fact that it has dramatically changed and he doesn't know what the future is going to hold, while he's praying about all of these things, he receives a vision. And this vision is so glorious and so powerful and so holy, he actually falls down on his knees before this vision. And in the process of this vision of, with God, God calls him to become a prophet, to become his mouthpiece, to become the person who's going to speak his words. And Ezekiel, this nervous young man, this anxious young man, accepts this call. This is the story of Ezekiel. Now, I just imagine that there are many of you who probably haven't cracked open the book of Ezekiel in quite some time. Raise your hand if you haven't read the book of Ezekiel in a while, okay? Even your preacher admits that, okay? You should appreciate that. And so probably many of you don't even know much about Ezekiel other than just what I just told you. And so just to get started, I want to try to get you excited, if I can, get you excited about studying the book of Ezekiel. And so let me tell you a few things about this book. First of all, did you know that Ezekiel laid on his side for over a year? That's all he did, laid on his side for over a year. And then after that, he laid on his other side for 40 days. And during this whole time, all he ate was about the amount of a biscuit, one of those Chick-fil-A chicken biscuits out there. That's about the amount that he ate for that whole time that he was laying on his side. Did you know that he dug a hole in the wall of his house and crawled through that hole? His wife must have thought he was crazy. And he did all of these things because God told him to do it. Did you know Ezekiel took a sword and he cut his hair, his beard with a sword and he took the hair from what he cut off and he burned it. Did you know that? Did you know Ezekiel was asked by God to cook his meat 
over a fire that was fueled by human excrement. Can you believe that? And Ezekiel said, sorry, God, I just can't do that, okay? <laughs> I can shave with a sword. I, can, I just can't do that. And so God said, okay, you can use cow dung to cook it. And so he did. Did you know that rabbis wouldn't let young men read the book of Ezekiel until they were 30? How old are you guys over here? Are y'all 30? Okay, y'all can't read the book of Ezekiel, okay? We're just... <laughs> They wouldn't let them read the book of Ezekiel because of two fairly racy chapters, chapter 16 and 23. Now, I know what y'all are going to do this evening, right? You're going to pick out chapter 16 and 23. Did you know that Ezekiel had visions where he actually pictured himself in another place from where he was? We call those things out-of-body experiences. Ezekiel had some of those. Did you know that Ezekiel's wife died during his ministry and God said, you cannot cry over the loss of your wife? Did you know that? Did you know that Ezekiel told parables? Did you know Ezekiel used props? Did you know Ezekiel struggled with depression? Struggled with mental health. Are you interested in the book yet? This is in the Bible. Did you know that Ezekiel... When he was born, Josiah was the king of Judah. Josiah was a good king, and things were going pretty well. And then when Josiah died, everything went downhill. When Ezekiel started to become an adult, Israel was at its lowest point. Josiah's grandson was named Jehoiachin, and he decided to revolt against Babylon because Babylon was getting stronger and stronger. And so he decided to get the help of Egypt to revolt against Babylon. Well, Babylon came down and crushed that revolt and decided to take with them 10,000 people. And they wanted to take the, the, the high class people. They wanted to take the leaders. They wanted to take the merchants. They wanted to take the ones who were in charge and educated. And so they took 10,000 people with them. And one of those 10,000 people was a young man named Ezekiel. And so this 10,000 group, this group of 10,000 went back to Babylon to be what I would call refugees, forced to leave their land. They didn't, mean, they didn't want to, forced to leave their land to live in another country, the country of Babylon. And God calls Ezekiel to come and be a minister to this group of 10,000 people. And God explains to Ezekiel, they're not going to like what you say. In fact, you're going to, in fact, he tells them in chapter three, you're going to speak. And over and over again, God says, they are not going to listen. Now, how would you like that for a call? You're going to preach. Nobody's ever going to respond. You're going to tell the gospel. Nobody's ever going to be baptized, but you got to go do it. In chapter, I was telling John earlier, in chapter three, after Ezekiel receives his call, it says that for a whole week, he went down and he sat by himself and he was depressed. <laughs> Sometimes when God calls you, you jump for joy. Sometimes when God calls you, you sit depressed because he knew it'd be a hard ministry. But he was called to minister to this group of 10,000 who are exiles in Babylon. Because these exiles have a lot of questions for God. And maybe some of their questions are the questions you have. They had questions like, God, where are you? 
We shouldn't be in Babylon. We should be in Israel. Where are you? God, are you not strong enough to take care of what's going on? Are the Babylonians stronger than you are? Why are we here? And what's going to happen to our country men and women back in Jerusalem? Are they going to survive? Are we going to be able to go back there anytime soon? Why is this all going on, God? Why are these bad things happening in the world? You ever ask that question? And what is the hope for our future? What are we, what are we able to look forward to down the road? And Ezekiel's role was to come alongside this group of 10,000 and try to help them process through these questions. And a lot of the answers that Ezekiel gives are not popular answers, but he speaks the word of God. He speaks the word of God. Now, Ezekiel was the son of a priest. And because he was the son of a priest, it meant that he was trained as a priest. And so because of that, he... Spent a lot of time around the temple. Spent a lot of time learning priestly activities. Spent a lot of time learning his Old Testament and the Old Testament stories. And he spent a lot of time contemplating on who God is. And because of his priestly training, you can see a lot of that come out in his ministry. So, for example, Ezekiel talks a lot about the temple. In fact, in our next session, we're going to see a vision that Ezekiel has about the temple. He talks a lot about priestly kinds of activities. But he also talks a lot about God. Ezekiel is a book about God. It's a book about who is God. And what does God want to see happen among his people and among the world? And here's where I think the book of Ezekiel, this ancient book, connects with the discipleship workshop. Because if I want to be a disciple of Jesus, if I want to be a follower of God, if, I, if we want to be a church that's on mission with God, we've got to know who God is, right? Do y'all amen here? Okay. If y'all want me to speak a shorter amount of time, amen me more, okay? <laughs> but if we want to be followers of God, we've got to know who he is. We've got to know what his heart is is about, what his heart beats for. We've got to understand what he wants to see happen in this world and what he wants to see happen within his people's lives. We've got to know about God. And that's where Ezekiel can really help us out because Ezekiel's going to come alongside these 10,000 exiles and say, let me just tell you a few things about God because you need to learn who your God is and what he cares about and what he wants. If you were to ask me to sum up the book of Ezekiel into one sentence, I would say it's this sentence right here. God wants his people and the rest of the world to know he is God. God wants his people and the rest of the world to know he is God. That Ezekiel is going to try to get across to this group of 10,000. What you need to understand about God is that God wants you and he wants everybody else in this world to know who he is. Now, I would challenge you at some point, you don't have to do it tonight, 
to read through the book of Ezekiel. It's got 48 chapters. Now, when I was starting to study the book of Ezekiel, I sat down and in one sitting, I read through the whole 48 chapters. Let me give you a piece of advice. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Ezekiel is a beating to read it all the way through. And there's parts of it that are kind of dull and kind of boring. Ezekiel repeats himself a whole lot. Must have been a preacher. Repeated himself a whole lot. And so because that can be hard to read through all at, all at once, take it chunk by chunk. Take it piece by piece. But when you read through the book of Ezekiel, you're going to see a phrase that pops up every now and then. Actually, it's going to pop up a whole lot. Between 50 to 70 times, according to scholars, this phrase comes up. To me, it's the most important phrase of the book of Ezekiel. And here's what that phrase is. That phrase is that so that you will know that I am God. And all throughout the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel is going to be saying that God is doing a lot of things. He's going to explain to those exiles, why, why are we in exile? Why are we in Babylon when our friends and family are still back in Jerusalem? And what's going to happen? He's going to explain the answers to those questions by saying, God is doing something. And God does a whole lot of things in the book of Ezekiel. God brings judgment. God calls for repentance. God sends a prophet. God defends his people. God fights off the enemy. God sometimes becomes the enemy. God does a lot of things in the book of Ezekiel. But God does everything that he does for this purpose, so that you will know that I am God. What is the heart of God? The heart of God is that he wants you and he wants me and he wants this world to know who he is. And so God is going to be active to bring that about. That's the heart of God so that we might know him. And he kind of sets the tone for all of this in chapter one. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Ezekiel chapter one. And let's look at this very briefly together, very briefly together. Before we get there, let me mention one more thing. So the problem with Israel at this point in their history is that they had what you might call a knowledge problem. It wasn't that they weren't good at Bible Bowl. It was that they did not know the heart of God. And so God decides he's going to do something about that. He's going to act to draw his people back to himself. And so a large part of the book of Ezekiel is about God's judgment, him acting to bring his people back to himself. But you have to understand something about God. Whenever he works, he works with two audiences in mind. And maybe the best way to understand this is with The Price is Right. Anybody watch The Price is Right? Okay, a couple of you have watched that. Very good. So The Price is Right is a game show. On this game show, there are two audiences, right? What are the two audiences? The first audience is the studio audience, correct? And they're the ones that get to participate and be involved in the games and all the fun stuff. But then there's a second audience. And what's the second audience? The people at home, the TV audience, right? And so you have this show going on and there's two groups of people who are watching. There are those up close who are there in the studio and then there's those at home far away. And that might be a really good understanding for, for how God is at work in the book of Ezekiel. There's two audiences. Number one, there's the audience of Israel. 
They're the people up close, his covenant people. And God is going to be at work to try to bring them back to a knowledge of him. But there's this second audience, this second audience, and that is the world, the nations of the world. God is working with his people because he wants the world to know who he is. Two audience. And it's the same way today. That God is at work among his people here and now because he wants us, the church, to be in tune with him. But there's a bigger audience. He wants the world to become disciples of Christ too. And so he's always at work for us and the world to come know of him. And the tone of this is set in Ezekiel chapter 1. Now, if, if you've ever read Ezekiel chapter 1, you have read the closest thing to a UFO in the Bible, a unidentified flying object. So Ezekiel is walking alongside the Kabar River, and while he's praying, he has this vision, and it's a peculiar vision. It's a vision of a throne, and actually, I have a drawing that someone made of this vision, and so if you can look at this drawing, he sees four creatures that look some something like human creatures, but they have four faces. They have the face of a cow, a face of an ox, face of an eagle, and the face of a human. And, and these four creatures are below a throne. And it says the throne, on the throne, there is seated someone who is a human-like figure. wonder who that is. And then above the throne, there is a rainbow sort of color. But the most important part about this vision is what's below the four creatures. Because below the four creatures are wheels, right? Wheels. And I want you to notice exactly what it says. Look at verse 15. As I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the ground beside each creature with its four faces. This was the appearance and structure of the wheels. They sparkled like chrysolite and all four looked alike. And each appeared to be made like a wheel intersecting a wheel. And as they moved, they would go in any one of the four directions. The creatures faced. The wheels did not turn about as the creatures went. Their rims were high and awesome, and all four rims were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures moved, the wheels beside them moved. And when the living creatures rose from the ground, the wheels also rose. Wherever the spirit would go, they would go, and the wheels would rise along with them because the spirit of living creatures was in the wheels. How do we make sense of this? So we got wheels underneath this throne. But it's not just one wheel. It says a wheel intersecting with a wheel. Now, what we think that is, is that you've got one wheel this direction. You've got one wheel that is 90-degree angle to it. Now, what would be the purpose of having wheels that are intersecting like that? Well, because they can go any direction, right? They can go north, they can go south, they can go east, they can go west. 
And they can go these directions without having to change, without having to turn around, without having to make a U-turn. They can go any direction. Immediately, whenever the creatures want to move that direction, they can move. Why? Because where the Spirit wants the throne to go, it goes. It goes. And so all of a sudden, this throne has become a chariot throne. Now, I don't know if you can tell on my slides, but down here at the bottom, right there, you see that? Do y'all know what that is? It's called a hashtag. Anybody know what a hashtag is? Okay, a few of you. If you do Twitter, you know what a hashtag is. And so when I was preaching through Ezekiel to try to connect with the younger generation, I said, tweet while I'm preaching. Use this hashtag and tweet. And so if you're into Twitter, search this hashtag and there's a whole catalog of tweets about Ezekiel. <laughs> Can you believe that? And so I would tweet in preparation for our sermons. And here was my tweet for Ezekiel chapter one. God does not live in a mobile home, but he has a mobile throne. And that's what we see here. He has a mobile throne. And wherever he wants to go, he can go there. It doesn't matter if it's north. It doesn't matter if it's south. It doesn't matter if it's east. West. He can go there. He can move. On a dime, he can move. When the Spirit wants to go, he goes, is what it says. Now, what's the impact of the realization that God's throne has wheels? Well, I think there's a few things. Number one, it means you cannot hide from God. There's not a place where you can go where you can get by yourself and think, well, God's not here and God doesn't see what I'm doing and God doesn't know what's going on. Israel thought that. In fact, we're going to talk about in the next section that there were leaders of Israel who thought that, that they could get into a room by themselves and God wouldn't know what they're doing. But God's throne's got wheels and it can go anywhere it wants to go. And so there is no place that you can hide from God. Remember Jonah? He learned this lesson. He was trying to go away from God, but God's throne has wheels and he can go wherever Jonah is trying to go to run from God. And he can do the same way with us. Number two, it means that we can never be lonely. There's no such a, no such a place as a God forsaken place on this planet. Did you know that? There's no place in this world that is so dark and is so evil that God is not there. Why? Because God's throne's got wheels. And it can move anywhere God wants to go. And when the Spirit says go, it goes any direction, any time. And so we can never feel alone because we know God can always come to where we are. Isn't that a wonderful thought? And then number three, it means that there's no restriction. God is not tied down to a certain area. He doesn't have certain territorial boundaries that he cannot cross. Instead, God's throne has wheels and he can move wherever he wants to go. He can go to any country. He can go to any nation. He can go to any house. He can go to any city. He can go anywhere. Now, what would be the impact of these three key ideas upon the people of Israel? Well, three things. Number one, it meant that God was going to judge his people. Israel had been unfaithful. Israel had been disobedient. Israel had developed a rebellious heart towards God. And you can't hide from God what you're doing. And God had seen that. He had seen what was going on. And so God's 
throne was moving, and it was moving towards judgment. It's moving towards judgment. Number two, though, it meant that there was hope. Because here, remember, you have these 10,000 exiles, and they're asking the question of, where's God? We're in Babylon. We're far away from the temple in Jerusalem. Does God care about us? And the first main vision of the book is God's throne's got wheels. Don't, feel, don't think that because you're in Babylon, God can't get to you. He can get there because his throne we, has wheels. And so there is hope. There is hope because you can't be in a place where God can't get to. So there's hope. And then number three, there is this message of sovereignty. Because again, the key, mess, key question was, is Babylon stronger than God? Why is Babylon destroying us? Why can't, why can't God fight off the Babylonians? Well, the issue wasn't that. God was actually allowing the Babylonians to do it. But the message was, God is on the throne. Don't think Babylon's in charge. God's in charge. God's the one on the throne. God the one, God's the one who is reigning. God's the one who has sovereignty. God's the one who's in charge of heaven and earth. And it's these three messages that are going to come out throughout the book of Ezekiel over and over again. The number one, God's on the move to bring judgment. Number two, God's on the move to eventually bring hope in a future. And number three, God's on a move to bring about his reign. And the question becomes, why is God doing this? Why is God on the move? Why is he on the move for judgment? Why is he on the move to bring hope? Why is he on the move to bring about his reign? And the answer is, That he's on the move so that his people and the rest of the world will know he is God. And so why is he judging his people? He's not judging his people because God is a hurtful God. God's judging his people because he wants his people to come back. He wants them to know who he is. And why is God going to bring hope and a future it's not simply because he has pity on his people. He wants to offer hope in the future because he wants his people and the world to know of him. And why is God wanting to assert his rule and his reign? It's not just simply because God wants control. It's because he wants the world to know of him. Everything that God does, he does for this purpose of us and the world coming to know him. And so the message of that first vision in chapter one was to tell Ezekiel, God's on the move. God, his wheels are turning and he's moving. And in some cases, it's not going to be a good thing because it's going to be judgment. But eventually it is going to be a good thing because he's going to bring hope. But ultimately he is on the throne and he is moving and he's moving for the purpose of bringing his people and the world to know of him. And so let's bring that home to us. And so this, mor this morning, if you came here and you're lonely or been struggling with loneliness, I can tell you with great confidence, God's on the move. And he is where you are. He is present in your home, 
He is present in that classroom. He is present in that hospital room. He is present in the nursing home. He is present in the workplace, in the office. He is present there. Why? Because God's throne has wheels and wherever you are, he can be. And and this morning, if you you came here and, and you're depressed because you're going through some difficult times, I can say with great confidence and assurance, God is at work. He's at work if you're recovering from a divorce. He's at work in your health struggles. He's at work if you lost your job. He's at work if you're dealing with mental health struggles. He's at work. Well, Steve, how do you know that? Because God's throne's got wheels, and he's on the move, and he's at work. And if you came here this morning and and you are struggling with fear and anxiety, I can say with all confidence and assurance, God is on the throne. He is on the throne in the midst of political division. He is on the throne in the midst of economic decline. He is on the throne in the midst of violence and potential war. He's on the throne. How do I know that? Because God's throne has wheels and he can roll over any country and he can roll over any home and he can roll over any church. He can go anywhere he needs to be and all authority in heaven and earth is him. He is a God on the move. And so wherever we are in our station in life, we can look at this vision from chapter one and it gives us hope. Why? Because we serve a God who's not dead. We serve a God who is not stagnant. We serve a God who doesn't just stay up in heaven and let us do our own thing. We serve a God who is on the move. And that should cause us to do a couple things in response. I think the first thing that it causes us to respond is to repent. And so I want you to notice again what happens at the end of this vision. But it says, if I can find it, I have my have my contacts on and it's kind of hard for me to find my verses in here. At the end of chapter 1, verse 28, I think, it says, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down and I heard the voice of one speaking. That when Ezekiel saw that vision, the throne chariot, the throne with wheels on it, He was so impacted by the glory and holiness and power of God that he fell face down and he said, I'm not worthy. And when we understand the nature of God, and hopefully this is going to happen this today and tomorrow, when we understand the nature of God and that God is on the move and he's on the move because he wants you and he wants me and he wants the rest of this world to come to know him, when we understand just how awesome our God is, it should cause us to fall down on our knees and say, Lord, I'm sorry because too often I have not been submissive to you and too often I haven't looked to you 
And we will join Jesus in praying the very prayer that he prayed. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May everyone know of you because you are an awesome God and you sit on the throne and your throne is over all. It can go everywhere. And it should cause us to repent in our heart and say, Lord, work in me because you are holy and awesome. But number two, our response, is that it should cause us to join him. To join him. Because if God is on the move, bringing about his will and his purpose for the world to come know of him, it should stir our hearts to say, I'm going to go join him. And so at our church, to try to help us do that, one thing that we do is that whenever our ministers get together for our staff meeting on Mondays, the first thing we do is we ask ourselves this question, where have we seen God at work? And we all go around and we start, start telling stories, stories either in our own personal lives or stories with our families or stories of something that happened on Sunday or stories with something we saw in the community and we start telling stories of how we've seen God at work. I think it's a great way to begin elders meetings, by the way. Where have we seen God at work? God is on the move. He's working. We know he's working because his throne has wheels and he's going every different, different direction. We know he's at work. Where do we see him? Because when we see God at work, we'll join him. We'll join him. We'll join him in his mission to make the whole world come to know him. In C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, there's this great line where the four children, if you remember that story, Peter, Susan, Lucy, and Edmund, they find this new world, Narnia. Go through the wardrobe and they find this new world, Narnia. And it turns out that this world of Narnia is under a curse. It's under the curse of that white witch. And the curse is, is that it's always winter and it's never Christmas. That it's cold, it's dark, it's dreary, and there's never any joy, and there's never any hope. And what Lewis is doing in this story is he's giving us a metaphor for, for our world. Our world is under the curse. It's the curse of sin. It's dark and it's dreary. And there's no hope. And as they're learning about this new world, they have this conversation with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver. And while they're talking with Mr. and Mrs. Beaver and they're learning about the curse that's on this world of Narnia and all the bad things, Mr. Beaver offers some hope. And he says this line. He says, but we've heard that Aslan is on the move. And Aslan was the Christ-like figure in, Nar in Lewis's books. And there's this great little line right after that where it says, the four children hardly knew exactly who Aslan was, hardly any more than we do. But when those four children heard that line, that Aslan's on the move, Something in their heart jumped. And for Peter, it was courage. For Edmund, it was reverence. For Lucy, it was joy. For Susan, it was something else. But something in their heart jumped because they realized there was some big, wonderful power at work in the world. And that's what Ezekiel chapter 1 should do to us. It should cause our heart to jump that we serve a God whose throne has wheels and he is on the move and he is at work. And as our hearts jump, 
to know that, it causes us to want to join him in his work in the world. Let me lead us in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who is not dead. You're not a God who's far off away that we cannot see and cannot know. You're not a God who is only in Palestine. You're a God on the move. You're a God whose throne can go anywhere the Spirit wants to go. And you're at work right now. You're at work in Oxford. You're at work in this church in Bedview Hills. You're at work in other uh, congregations as well. And we thank you for that. And Lord, may we repent of our sin because we realize we're in the presence of a holy and awesome God. And may we join you in the work that you're doing. Bless us the rest of this day. In the name of Jesus, amen.